Day morning, we don't know what has happened as you're listening to this. It's going to come out Wednesday morning. Maybe we should record a couple of bumpers, like you know, there's the jubilant one, you know, there's the the, the there's the <laughs> stiff upper lip one, there's the there's the political limbo one. Um, but uh, here we are. Um, happy Election Day. We, don't, we need a word for the the eve, the day after, right? Eve, the, we mm. need it like the day after Christmas. Day, like those are important moods that Eve captures for the day before. But there's a certain move to New Year's Day, day after Christmas, day after mm-hmm. Thanksgiving, and certainly this is like a this is a condensed. This is a reduction and concentration. It's like a, it's like an extract of those feelings uh, tomorrow, depending on how it goes. It um, is. I was saying this morning that I feel like my my heart is half hopeful and half that video that's gone around this year of the Grinch like screaming at the end of a yoga yeah. class. <laughs> <laughs> like, take a deep uh, breath, yeah. and he just lets it out. <laughs> so, either the so however this pans out and whatever your political persuasions you are biden um (laughs) uh this will either be a celebratory um kind of uh exhaling or a diversion distraction reprieve from whatever else may be happening so we're thinking of you um preemptively it reminds me of whitman writing crossing brooklyn ferry and trying to imagine people reading his poems from 100 years from now nice Mm -hmm. effort but he got it totally wrong which i think is right (laughs) where could we be (laughs) right now he's like and you too will be looking at all these ships with their masts i'm like oh yeah he didn't know about steam engines that was that was a big miss on his part no no raymond kurtzfile uh, was well, women. Anyway, now we're really off and running, so let's do a break and I'll try to corral whatever is happening. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So, this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid 90s at NYU and it follows young Wang who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building. But turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? 
So a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken? Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. We're doing adaptation wish list today. Um, we were just doing a little pre-show, uh, you know, pre-planning, and both of us, I think, had the thought that, given the number of adaptations that have happened over the last five years, that we might actually have to, like, you know, scrounge and scrape for good ideas. And I think we both found that putting ourselves in the mood, sitting down with a piece of paper, and maybe like looking at your bookshelves. I'm not sure how you did this, Rebecca. I sort of mm-hmm. started there, and I got eight that I would be thrilled to be announced tomorrow in about six minutes. And then I stopped. Um, and you, you went even a little <laughs> bit further. I'm not sure we can get through today. Uh, but tell me about the experience yeah. of like drumming up ideas. I had saved this task for this morning for election day. Cause I knew that me too, I, you know, would want some distractions. And that's exactly what I did. I was having coffee, looking around the living room, sort of glancing at my bookshelves. And I really only keep the books that I'm attached to in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was its own kind of filter. But it took me, I think, about four minutes of looking at bookshelves and be like, oh, all these would be so good. And then, of course, like those jogged memories of other books yeah. that I liked but that I don't have anymore. And I took like one glance down my uh, reading log from the last couple of years just to see if there was anything that like I read digitally or listened to that you know mm-hmm. wasn't on my shelves but that I would want to note. And I have like 15 and I think I could have kept going. Um, yeah. And I didn't put them in any kind of order. So we're just going to wild card going. I didn't either. This. I didn't either. There's so many uh, good options. I guess the other thing we didn't talk about before in planning this was we're kind of going off our recall of what we know their adaptations coming for out there. At least I did. Like I didn't pick anything I knowingly, but I also wasn't doing research about if someone's, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming most of these, the options are owned by someone at some point, And that's different than a series getting green. But like, I'm trying to think of, well, like, you know, like the Underground Railroad is much further along, but um, there's even things down the pike, like um, the Amazon series or Asimov's Foundation or like anything mm-hmm. I knew there was something I left off, but then I also didn't go check to see if there was, you know, something coming. Because these are such that I would remember uh, hearing more news about. In fact, though, yesterday I had to cross, I had a, a pre-list because um, I had, I have a little bit of a shared wheelhouse uh, zone here, mm-hmm. things that I think we both maybe would have mm-hmm. picked. And foremost among those was they things they carried, which just yesterday was announced, <gasps> going to get turned into a series starring Tom Hardy and Pete Davidson and others. Oh, that's so great there news, you go. and I had not that's, heard that. Yeah. I uh, had limited to remind series. Okay. So was that on your list at all? It, it um, wasn't. Have you thought about that? Yeah. I hadn't thought about that, but man, I'm excited about that now. I had I started this morning thinking about my sister, the serial killer, which I think is also mm. a shared wheelhouse. And then I was like, wait, I feel like maybe we talked about that getting right. optioned. And I Googled and indeed it did. So I'm excited about that. I mean, I don't I'm like crying already just thinking about the things they care about. Uh-huh. <laughs> that audio, I listened to it. I've read it a couple times. I think we talked about it on the show when Brian Cranston did the audio a few years back. I had to like pull the mm. car over. I was crying so hard. So that's going to be a uh, watch it in the privacy of my own home in a couple years moment, I right. guess. Yeah. So the, for those of you who don't know, Tim O'Brien's, I think, uh, you know, Slender's masterwork uh, 
mm-hmm. about a group, a squad of sold, American soldiers in Vietnam. Um, kind of the anti-apocalypse now, you know, this triumphal, you know, kind of like, you know, apocalypse now is heart of darkness set in Vietnam and sort of grandiose and over the top, you know, ride of the Valkyries with Robert Duvall looking over the thing and Kurt and the whole thing. Like it's a, it's kind of a, you know, and Sheen is doing drugs. It's a very manic, over the top fever dream where the things they carried is, um, I, I wouldn't even know. I didn't prepare for to talk about it at all, but it's a, it's really a character study about the relationships of these people in an unusual, mm-hmm. to say the least, circumstance. Um, and I think a helpful bromide for most representations of Vietnam, especially, but also even the kind of like, less jingoistic but still maybe romanticized version of like comrades in arms like even stuff i like like band of brothers right it's band of brothers is i love band of brothers the the book i read the book in the in the series but it's actually fairly uncomplicated right there's not a yeah. whole lot of there there's a little bit between cobb and some other things but like i think the things they carried is like group therapy <laughs> like the lessons of like a reco- you know someone who's come back to think about the experience and really thinking about the relationships between them and what their experience meant and what it didn't mean um welcome to this the, the things they carried podcast i'm your host <laughs> jeff o'neill anyway so anyway that's the only one i had to to strike there, there probably could be some other options or things in the works mm-hmm. but i don't know out there rebecca i'm gonna throw it to you oh, i don't know goodness. where you want to start <laughs> I, i'm helpful of- to start I guess, well, I'll start because I think this is one we might have picked, and I don't really have, these aren't in an order of what I would pick, like if I had a a couple of cards to play, like this will be created, but I think this one fits the, I really want there to be a good adaptation of a a work by this author, and I don't think there is one yet, and that's Toni Morrison, I don't think that's Mm. come as anyone's surprise here, there is a version of Beloved, which I think is not as bad as it gets a rap for, but I do not think I do not think it will stand. I don't think that's maybe the right pick to come out. I'm going with Paradise. Um I think it's mm. the most cinematic of them. The you know the opening sequence, they killed mm-hmm. the white girl first. Um one of the Morrison is wonderful at opening lines, but this is a very sort of action movie kind of a, a thriller sequence of this I don't want to give away too much, but people going through a place to hunt these women and then you go back and forth and it's historical and has a very interesting ending and I think there's a lot that could be done there I kind of ran through the rest of the Morrison thinking you know is there any one of them I all what I've learned is any any book I've ever read can be done well some might be harder than others so all of these are possible I'm not saying any of them are impossible um but I think paradise giving there's a very recognizable um setting um has very well-drawn characters, very visual action, where the action of something like Tar Baby or Sula or Beloved, for that matter, is internal a lot of times. Um, so Paradise by Toni Morrison, I think, is my... I need, a, I need a flag in the ground for Morrisonia on screen, and I think I would start there. Rebecca, thoughts about that? I love that. Um, as you know, that's my favorite Tony Morrison. That's your favorite. I know. I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, I know. <laughs> and I think that could work as a movie, or mm-hmm. I could see it as a limited-run HBO situation. Yeah. Because you right. have you know the women in the old convent and 
the sort of mm-hmm. repetition and bouncing back and forth that's happening there. I didn't even think about Toni Morrison. I think because my brain is just like, it's impossible to do her well. But I think you're correct that Paradise could be done well. It has the mm-hmm. best shot, I think, of being a good and interesting yeah. adaptation. And I would love to see that. Um, I'm just yeah. assuming that Gilead, the Gilead books, or at least the first one, is one that we are both going to long for forever. You know, I, I decided <laughs> ultimately that I'm okay. I'm good with Gilead. You know, after I yeah. listened to some of the Ethan Hawke, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure what the movie could give me that the book doesn't, since it is a book of language, right? Like mm, letters written. True. Like the, the performance, I would watch it. I think... I would maybe prefer it as like a one-man stage play, you know, in Ethan Hawke mode or some, you know, where the performance is more key. Again, mm-hmm. I would watch the living corn out of a Gilead um, <laughs> adaptation, but I, I actually find that the value add may be not as great to me as some of these yeah, others. So, I, but yeah, yeah. I share that as well. Like the, the you know. books are just perfect you know and years ago i think we were just talking about it offline this week we did a dream casting together of the books and you mentioned mm-hmm. joaquin phoenix to play jack and that just <laughs> yes. resonated so perfectly that holds that was a good call that tweet it's aged a really, well to use it's a, a really to, to yeah it's a really really good call and i would love i think i would love the chance to see him embody that character right. um, yeah but I'm, I'm totally fine if i just have to uh imagine that world in my brain Mm -hmm. forever i think of those books though you're right though that jack is the most cinematic there's a lot more moving around you got the city Mm -hmm. and you've got some of the trying to meet up shenanigans you know like we said that Mm -hmm. that opening sequence of jack is like it's a walk and talk um in a graveyard uh with a threat of racial violence but otherwise it's exactly like the west wing um so other than okay so paradise tony morrison that's number that's my i don't know i i don't know if the one i want the most but it's maybe the one i need to be the most if that distinction makes any difference interesting i think i just went for stuff i thought would be really fun that's fine there's no rules here on screen yeah and i'm just gonna i think i'm just gonna pick one off my list i love a yeah i mean we love both of us a gang gets back together kind Ah, of story and these are two contenders i would be happy to see either of them but they feel to me like they go together so either or both, of Maine by J. Courtney Sullivan mm-hmm. or Seating Arrangements by Maggie Shipstead. Maine is set over the course of a summer where three generations of women are living together in the families, like sort of running down beach house. Uh, all kinds of family drama things happen. It would make a great eight-episode HBO series. And Seating Arrangements is set over one wedding weekend, I think like in Martha's Vineyard or Nantucket, somewhere like that. Something very waspy and dramatic things happen and ridiculous things happen and i imagine it as like not quite the wedding crash it's not as funny as as like the wedding crashers vibe it's more of a drama than a comedy (laughs) but there are really funny moments and i would Mm. like to see people in their you know like critter shorts with their cardigans tied around their shoulders having ridiculous Mm -hmm. social interactions with each other i just like that setup of families or groups of friends like in a compressed time in a compressed time or a compressed space with each other running up against all their stuff. Uh, but I think that's probably a movie. So. Yeah, I think you're right, though. that It seems to me that particular milieu has been squeezed out. Like, you need to throw on a thriller or a murder in the middle of that to get it made. You, like, no, I'm serious. Like, <laughs> or or a, like an arson. You need little fires everywhere or big little lies. Like, if you take either of those and take out, like, the crime, you have one of these 
books, right? And for some reason, yeah. those get squeezed. You, if you need to go more towards comedy or satire or more towards thriller, right. this middle tier doesn't seem maybe there's space for it maybe not but it is it is interesting to me to that literary sort of like upscale commercial fiction piece that's not a thriller kind of has got blown away like the movie version i'm thinking of is like it's not a good movie but i saw it at a time where i wanted to be more of an adult than i was and you know, mm. maybe still am but like mm. did you ever see the movie indian summer do you remember that movie oh no so it's a group of adults that go back to the summer camp that they <laughs> went to every summer uh-huh. It's in your wheelhouse, and it's 90s. Okay. You may have been a little young for it. Right. Um, this might be a good hangover movie for you to find sometime where the stakes are very low, and you're just sort of sitting there letting it wash over you. <laughs> so tomorrow um, but it's a get- Yeah, it's a getting the band back together. There's fraught stuff they've got to resolve. Um, Adam Arkin plays the grizzled camp counselor that they're going back to see. Has almost no one you care about in it, <laughs> actually. Um, but, uh, yeah, that kind of... Uh, relationship and relationship only kind of a, of, of a series doesn't seem to have much That's purchase true. right now. Right. And I don't well, know the, why. So we, we've got space for one. I'm not, I'm, right. I'm just, I'm interested in I have in that. a pick that ups the ante a little bit in Okay, this go, area, go, go. We'll snake draft it. One okay. for me, two for you. Yeah. Wild Game by Adrian Broger was I don't remember a mem- this book. It's a big memoir that came out okay. a couple years ago. Or it got a lot of buzz. Um, Bananas memoir. The subtitle could be like, and my life with a mother who has no boundaries. So <laughs> oh, no. Adrian's, it's appalling, but it would be great on TV. So when she was a kid, her parents were best friends with this other couple and they would go on vacation together and like her parents had a beach house and the other couple would come over to the beach house and there was just all of this like camaraderie between the couples and one night her mom comes in to tuck her into bed she's like 12 at the time and confides to 12 year old adrian that the husband in the other couple who's kind of this like dashing rugged outdoorsman who can do all the things figure has kissed her and Mm. she is thrilled and for years like a decade um adrian broger's mother carries on a relationship with the husband in the other couple and they do this like right under the noses of their spouses in these shared spaces with child adrian sort of running uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like not diversion, but sort of like running interference. That's it. Running interference uh-huh. for them. Yeah. Uh, interference. Like helping. Yeah. Helping create distractions or like making sure that they can get away to the little cottage where they're going to go do what people who are having affairs do without the other spouses mm-hmm. knowing. And it's like not a thing that a 12 year old kid should be involved in it all. But she has no sense of this when she's 12 because she just feels so special that her mom has confided in her and made her like her confidant and buddy in getting this to happen her co-conspirator and as she grows up she gets some perspective on how inappropriate and troubling all of this is and she falls in love with the son of the other couple what come on Mm -hmm. and like and he doesn't know about this relationship like for a long time and it's bananas it was a great memoir i read it in one sitting on a flight it's hard to recommend because there's so much of it is bananas, but it would make for really good TV. Mm, that sounds like good. T- so that's a TV show. I think that's a TV show. I think it's like HBO mm. or AMC, somebody who can do some edgy stuff. Gotcha. Okay. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. 
So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters is an intimate portrait of two generations, a granddaughter and a grandmother, coming to terms with what it means to be family, black women, and alive in a world on fire. In heartfelt lyrical prose, Mary Inez Hegler weaves an unforgettable story of the climate crisis, black resistance, and the enduring power of family. Narrated by Janice Abbott-Pratt and written by climate justice writer Mary Anise Hegler, the Troubled Waters audiobook is available everywhere May 7th. It follows Corinne as she plans to stage a dramatic act of resistance and peels back the scabs of her family wounds and puts her safety in jeopardy. Both grandmother and granddaughter must bring their unspoken secrets into the light to find a path to healing. Known for her essays that dissect and interrogate the climate crisis, drawing heavily on her personal experience as a black woman with deep roots in the South, Mary Anais Hegler brings us her first work of fiction titled Troubled Waters. Make sure to pick it up. Thanks again to Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters, for sponsoring this episode. Um... Take I guess I'm going to. I guess I'm going kind of a memo. This one's kind of a weird pick because um, it's not actually a thing. It's more. Of, I'm blending a couple of things together. I have always thought that the short stories, the Eatonville stories of Zora Neale Hurston, would make for a Ooh. wonderful anthology kind of a show. Um, but then I started because the Gilded Six books. There's really good stuff. The, the dialogue crackles. There's stakes, um, and the setting is wonderful. And then I got thinking about Zora Neale Hurston's own life. And I wonder if like a biopic that blends a little bit of fiction and nonfiction kind of in together as she, like, she lied a lot about herself. Like Dust Tracks on the Road, her memoir is largely unreliable. And I wonder if there's some kind of metafictional, metatextual thing you could do with her ethnography, her own fiction, and her own life and kind of blend it up into a Hurstonia kind of a catalog mm. um, that would be a, you know, I'm not really sure beyond that, but where each episode, I'm thinking a series of some kind, a limited series, where each episode takes a story and then connects it to something else that's going on with her. Um, she, you know, she became an investigative reporter and got involved in like this crime later on that she was trying to cover and solve at the same time. There's just a lot. There's so much there that I'm not even sure you'd have to pick a thread. You'd have to pick a thread and um, weave it. But we've tried their eyes. We're watching God several times. I'm not actually sure their eyes. We're watching God is the best film material that Hurston has made. And I think her own life 
is way more interesting. You know, she's the first PhD stu- first black woman to be a PhD student at Columbia or at mm-hmm. Columbia University. Um, she's in the Harlem Renaissance, but then she's motoring around Florida in her convertible with Langston Hughes. They have a falling out. She goes to Jamaica to write. Their, their eyes were watching God in six weeks. She dies in this pauper's grave. Um, only to be discovered by Alice Walker, you know, her grave to be discovered sort of unmarked by Alice Walker, fam- Walker famously much later. I feel like there's something there. So someone do something with that because there's a whole mess of interesting junk that could be put in, not junk, a whole of material <laughs> that could be, I don't know. I, I, th- I think there's something that could be really fascinating and maybe almost like an orchid thief kind of a way, like Ooh. what Susan Orlean did with... Mm-hmm. Um, or excuse me, Cof- Charlie Kaufman did with Susan Orlean's Orchid Thief, where some of the historiography and research and the writing could get mixed up in the story. So anyway, that's that's my second. That's my kind of wild card. I want the interesting mess, postmodernist mess kind of person. <laughs> this is not the kind of thing Hulu's going to bankroll, but maybe maybe someone will if we get down to um, you know artsy, more artsy streaming services. I'm not sure who would bankroll this. Um, maybe maybe Shonda. In her billion dollar yeah. Netflix deal, could like roll this as like pick number nine of fourteen or, or something like, like that. Doesn't Criterion have some sort of streaming situation that feels kind of they Criterion. do? Is are those originals though? I mean, I don't know. I thought those were just taking like the, mm. the artsy fartsy stuff and, well, I mean, and they making could collectors do editions. Originals, out of it. they could do it. Yeah, for this. Sure. Okay, they fine. Yeah, it's Criterion then. Thank you. Yeah, great. Uh, I kind of want a similar thing for when women were birds. Like it would need yeah. to be storytelling and some of the other stuff. Um, mm-hmm. My next one. Okay. The Wangs versus the World by Jade Chen. Ah, good one. Good yeah. One. I, love, I can see this uh, existing tomorrow. Right? I'm kind of yeah. surprised it doesn't already. Um, yeah. I love a road trip setup. And the setup of this story is this um, family, the father was like built a cosmetics empire, they've had a huge fortune, but then the financial crisis of 2008 happens and he's lost everything. And in the beginning, he's bringing the kids home from college um, to tell them like, you can't go here anymore because we don't have any Mm. money. And also we have to pack up the one remaining car that wasn't repossessed. And of course, it's like the crappy car. And they're going to drive across the country from Bel Air to upstate New York. York to live at the uh, the family's oldest daughter has a successful career and her own home and so the whole the rest mm. of the family is going to drive across the country and live there and it's like a Shit's Creek kind of vibe I think but like like mm-hmm. a super high end and they stop places along the way because they've got to go all the way from Bel Air to New York and there is a lot of drama and a lot of comedy and I think it could be I think you could do it as a series. I could see the temptation to make it a series, but I think it would be better as a nice, tight, you know, 90-minute to two-hour movie that just, like, hit all of the big notes and let it be funny and thoughtful and didn't try to, like, string it out too much. That's good. But I I really loved reading it when I read it, and I I would love to watch it. A madcap romp. That's good. We need some more of those. Love a romp. I don't really have anything funny on my list now that I look at it again. Um, I guess if we if we go on the romp kind of a vibe, this is a darker true crime romp. But the billion dollar whale um, is a it's a nonfiction book, um, mm-hmm. and it's about the main character, the main person. It's not a character; it's a real person's name is Joe Blow, which is incredible, um, <laughs> and it's about him. Being an outsider um, 
in America, going to Penn and remaking himself into a wheeler dealer at the highest stakes of getting involved with like sovereign wealth funds in Saudi Arabia. And it's a giant pyramid scheme and, you know, convincing Deutsche Bank to do all this stuff that's really, really illegal and defrauding the Malaysian uh, sovereign front out of more than a billion dollars. And I think even right now, I think this is right. Um, Google this for me. Right now, he lives on a yacht circling <laughs> international waters because as soon as he as soon as he lands anywhere he going to get picked up i just had images of mark watney going i'm a space pirate i'm a space pirate no he's a real pirate and it intersects with celebrities like he hires i can't mm-hmm. remember he hires it's a bonkers like, story. He hires, like, it's not Britney Spears, but it's someone like that to appear at his birthday party. He gets involved in bankrolling the Wolf of Wall Street, becomes not a friend of Leonardo DiCaprio, but like, I don't know, in the circle, in the orbit of these movie producers that are always looking for dumb money, frankly, right? Like, people who want to be wheelers and dealers have money, but no access. Um mm-hmm. It was an incredible book. Clint and I uh, both really, I, I, when I read it, I immediately passed it on to him. And it's one of those that goes into the pile of things that I've learned as I become an adult, that there's a lot less holding this world together than you would think. <laughs> <laughs> because if someone like this can do stuff like this at this level, you don't want to think about it too hard because um, <laughs> this is what we know about. Think of what we don't know about. But that's mm-hmm. the. I, I think it would be an awesome... I think it's a movie. I think it, and it, I think it maybe is best served as... I don't think you want like a spotlight vibe. You know, you don't want that sort mm-hmm. of dour seriousness because ultimately you're defrauding sovereign wealth funds, like, which isn't great, who are sometimes, you know, in, in Malaysia exploiting their people. But like one of the big marks here was Saudi, was Saudi, it was these Saudi Arabian sheiks who have all this oil money. Like no one's going to feel bad for that. So the stakes are pretty low in that regard. So I think actually kind of a Wolf of Wall Street vibe might be the right yeah, thing to sort of I think so. exuberate, to coin a phrase, in the bodiness, the tawdriness, and the, the outright outlandishness. Um, someone, would, someone would get an Oscar nomination for playing Joe Blow yeah. in a film. I'm just putting that out there right now. So there we go. That's uh, yeah, The Billion I, Dollar Whale. I listened to that. I think I listened to that like a few years ago, probably right at the same time that you were recommending it to Clint. And it was about the same time that the um, Crazy Rich Asians movie had come out. Mm. And I realized that my brain sort of merged. There's a really wild bachelor party like on a giant shipping boat uh, that happens. And I realized that my brain sort of merged the parties that Joe Blow would throw with the image of Mm -hmm. that bachelor party (laughs) and Crazy Rich Asians. And it seems like that's believable um let me shout the authors i forgot to do it tom wright and bradley hope were the Ah. the reporters who turned that reporting into the book billion dollar world sorry okay go ahead yeah that's like truly an eye-popping story that's a good pick yeah uh my next one is the woman next door by yoanda so i i think for me this would ring my like grace and frankie kind of vibe Mm. um it's set in uh, Johannesburg, South Africa. It's in like a ritzy suburb. And um, these two older women, I believe they're in their 70s or 80s, are enemies and have been like sworn enemies for decades. One of them is black and the other one is white. And through a series of events, they end up having to spend a lot of time together and they become friends. And it's really funny and heartwarming. I remember pitching it as like the Golden Girls Get Woke a couple years back. Um, They deal with race in a way that uh, is organic to what happens when people of different races and experiences are forced together and have to like 
deal with each other and ultimately understand each other differently and become often friends. It's, it's lovely and fun and warm, and I would like it as a Netflix series. Mm. Yes, I like that. <laughs> I like that very much. Um, do I have anything warm, boy? No, I don't. I definitely know where warm to go here. <laughs> well, my warmest one, and I have one sort of fantasy pick. Um, I think the Darker Shade of Magic series by V.E. Schwab should be a trilogy of movies. The oh. world building is wonderful. Um, it lends itself, even the cover design uh, reflects, you know, some of the world building, the very, you know, very stark red and blacks. Um, that go into it. I think it's a complication. You know, the, the phrase grown-up Harry Potter is overused. I hate to do it except to say that a lot of the things you like, we like about the Harry Potter series in general don't age great in putting together, putting aside her stuff. But, like, the world-building and the magic and then the camaraderie inside of it, right? Like, this is what you want out of Lord of the Rings. Kind of what you want out of Hunger. Like, you you come for the fantasy, but you stay for the relationships, right? And this does this very well. Very interesting characters. Um, basically, I'm not going to do a good job of summarizing without giving it any away. So I'm going to try not to. But there's like sort of two, there's three universes that are not dissimilar to our own, and it takes place mostly in London. And you can go between only certain people can go between the universes. These different Londons. But the Londons have different levels of sort of magic in the world, right? And so the main kind of meta story is about pulling from the more magical universe into the less magical universes, right? So it's kind of like extracting and there's chaos involved in all of it. But there's a central relationship that is really, really good. Anti-heroes, um, borderline characters of all kinds, and really unusual um fantasy uh, an unusual fantasy vibe not, not, not that I'm the biggest fantasy reader in the world but I think it would have great potential to be a very striking moving um, and epic series I don't want I, don't, I think this isn't a show I think you want a, a movie for each book and you make them into a couple okay. a few tent poles so that's a darker shade of magic series uh, by V.E. Schwab is my that's my big that's my franchise that's pick, your big one I guess All right. that's my franchise pick I don't have a series pick. Hmm. Well, I win then. Okay, let's wrap this up. Uh, we're done. No. <laughs> well, early in twenty nine, or sorry, early in twenty twenty, mm. in a time that feels like it was a completely different mm. year from now, I read "We Ride Upon Sticks" by Quan Berry, and I think this is a Hulu joint. It's an anthology series. Uh, yeah, nice. The setup of the book is it's the eighties. You're in a suburb of Salem, Massachusetts. The girls. Uh, field hockey team at this high school is tired of having losing seasons, so they make a deal with the devil by writing their names in a notebook that has Emilio Estevez's face on it, because it's the 80s, and mm. that's how they're going to get their winning season. Uh, and it works. Like, there's a little accidental witchcraft that happens, uh, but there's also great pop culture references, and the characters are diverse um, in many senses. There are girls of different races, there are girls of different sexual orientations. It's a like you could have a really great representative cast, and the book is already set up where we move between 
the different characters' perspectives, but the story is told with a plural um, collective narrator. So you could have one episode about each girl or from each girl's perspective. And meantime, the whole like through the whole thing, one of the girls is auditioning to play Tatuba in a school production of the crucible so you're also getting the background of like the original story of the salem witch trials and Mm -hmm. hysteria and what's happening there it's really funny and really smart and uh i would love to i would just love to see it i think it would be a ton of fun it's weird it's like the vibe is kind of like dawson creek meets the watchman the series that we saw because you've got like this real like (laughs) historical background but like these teenage things layered on top of it i think that's a really cagey pick rebecca and i think if they set it in the 80s and like were true to where the book is set you would get great wardrobe and you'd get great music and pop culture references and Mm -hmm. it would be fun for people our age to watch and see those things and equally fun for like today's teenagers to watch and imagine the kinds of things that they would like cast their spells in their notebooks for yeah i think that probably of the things we've said so far has like the biggest hit potential like things that Mm. other people than us would be interested even if you care nothing about the book i think i'm going to use as a segue i think i've got one hit pick that if uh i'm trying to think i think this is an hbo joint um and i can't believe it doesn't already exist but zone one by colson whitehead should be a series i don't know why it's not he was ahead shockingly Colson Whitehead was ahead of the game about thinking about these mixed blended genre situations he's done that from the very beginning this is the story um it's set in New York after a pandemic <coughs> has devastated <laughs> oh, the planet God. um and, and humanity's basically like there's zombies and then there's people that haven't become zombies and this little the titular zone one is this piece of the tip of Manhattan um that has rallied and they're trying to clear the city of the zombies. And the main character's job is basically a clean, a sweeper, right? To go through mm-hmm. and, um, you know, clear out the city. And then things go bad from there. So we start out after the apocalypse, but then, and we, so we enter this new normal. And I really like this genre of, of post-apocalyptic, again, I've relatively get post-pandemic, post-catastrophe. Apocalypse <laughs> means there's nothing left. These post-catastrophes where you, you, you enter the world after the thing, as they're dealing with the thing. And then something happens. So like it's like a it's like a it's like a it's a Big Mac, right? There's two layers of mm. catastrophe sandwiched into to one series. Um, I think it would lend itself to like some sort of like Denis Villeneuve or Ridley Scott kind of uh, beautiful, barren, tensely spare uh, rendition, and I think would be much watched television on an HBO released once a week. I, I think it could get there. This, this is my hit pick. Rebecca, what do you think about that? I think that's a great pick. And I wonder if it would just be seen as like trying to compete with The Walking Dead, which somehow is still a big deal. Yeah, and right. Maybe but it's, that's yeah, like, you're maybe right. That's maybe that's happened. why. Yeah, but maybe. I don't think that that's a good reason. I think Zone 1 should exist as a, as a We've as a got room for all the zombies. There's yeah. room for more than one zombie. I totally agree. The tone was so different than Walking Dead. The little I know of Walking Dead, I should say, which is very much like zombie movie, zombie movie. This is much more like I don't. I'm, I'm trying to think of a good example. Like it's like the road in which a lot of the time you don't even see the things, right? It's yeah. it's like it's not out there as much. It's not aliens or something like that. It's um, much. It's, it's much not different. actiony. It's not no, like here's no. the big scene of running away from the zombie and fighting the zombie and your heart is pounding. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's more existential. Right. So that's that's my 
I think that would have a chance to be a bona fide hit somewhere where the rest of these, I think, are sort of like, what would I like to see? Rather than if I was in um, development for HBO yeah. and my job depended on it, I'm not sure I'm picking the Estone, the, the Zora Neale Hurston metafictional anthology series. I'm not sure about that one. <laughs> Although that might be like the most Jeff O'Neill desire ever. Look, Neil Hurston. Yeah, look, I'm into it. I'm into it. I know. It. I don't know what else to tell you here. So anyway, all right. Where are you? Where? I, you know, let's do a couple more. Okay. We're, we're gonna start running long here. Yeah. I careful. think I have one more that might be a big hit, sort of along those right. lines, and it's Shadow Shaper by Daniel Jose um, Older. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised this isn't a show already either. Frankly, yeah. But there set we go. in Brooklyn about a teenage girl who re- who learns that she comes from a line of shadow shapers, which are people that can like make magic out of and through mm. art, through music and painting and other forms of art. Mostly, yeah, right. it's, mostly it's music and like painting and big murals um, in the book. And it could just be so visually stunning, I think, mm-hmm. and would also be really fun to watch um would be a great cast you know like it's set in a brooklyn that looks the way brooklyn actually looks with mm. people of all different races and backgrounds there's a nice um sort of multicultural like bruja witchy thing that's going on with her and older has such a great talent for writing dialogue the dialogue in his stories and his characters voices are always just really like spot on and believable and you can picture those people and I think it would be really fun to watch Shadow Shaper on screen and also your all-time pick for films like this Zendaya would be a great cast oh come on as the main character (laughs) yeah I think of the things we've mentioned well maybe maybe the darker shade of magic with this one a visual medium would give you the most value add, right? They're so mm-hmm. visually, um, the visuals are so important that I think that would lend itself extremely well to, um, to film. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good pick. I'm gonna I'm gonna wind up. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I got two two left I want to talk about. I guess okay. I, I'm going to... So I'll do my penultimate one. My last one is a always already request that will <laughs> shock no one or that's listened to us over time. Um, but the one before that, and maybe there's already something out there. I didn't go do my... But um, She Said by Cantor and Thule. I don't Ooh. know why this isn't a movie already. Like We talked about this when we read it um, for mm-hmm. this podcast and talked about it together. It's ready... It's there to be the all the president's men of the Me Too movement, which this is a weird side. Seems like a thousand years ago, yeah. um, actually. So I don't know if that's part of it. Like it now seems like a historical piece. Fine, let it be a historical piece. Like one of the things that was that's hard to remember about all the president's men is how hard upon the heels of Watergate that movie was, how fast it came out, and Spotlight Two for that matter. Though I think that was maybe fifteen years later. Um, so maybe maybe we're in sort of an uncanny valley of interest, and in she said, where it's not so close that it's a hot button issue, but it's not far away enough that it's kind of like it would be like a historical document. 
So maybe we need a little bit more time, but we've got the reporters, we've got famous names, we've got cloak and dagger kind of stuff about who's going to say what to whom, we've got a villain. Um, I think it would be tremendous. I think it would be one of the tremendous adaptations in the in the ranks of journalism on film. And not for nothing, by and about and for a predominantly women's cause, which we don't, to my knowledge, there aren't a lot of these. Um, I'd be yeah. love to know if you're wrong. If you got to pick, um, shoot me an email podcast at bookride.com. One of my favorite movie genres is the journalism movie. Um, but I think we, I need this. We need this. This should exist. Mm-hmm. This would be great. I There'd agree. be wonderful starring turns for the, the whoever would play Cantor and Thule. Um, maybe you could get Gwyneth to play herself would be a weird moment, but I would be here mm-hmm. for that mm-hmm. um, in its own way. So I don't know. Maybe that would be a maybe. Maybe that was Zone One. Feel like to me, you know, the most rare and to go, um, and fits neatly into people's pre-existing categories of of what these things are. But that's she said by Jody Cantor and Megan Tooley. Um, Lay, want to do the last one? Couple last ones. What do you want to make sure you get into the ether before we get out of here? A couple last ones. All right. right. One is "The City of Girls" by Elizabeth Gilbert. I think this is a glittering HBO joint, Mm. kind of in the vein of Boardwalk Empire. Right. Um, Period piece. It's 1930s and 40s, New York. Maybe a little bit earlier than that. I didn't Google. Mm. Um, but a like young woman has gotten kicked out of college and her parents have sent her to live in the city with her aunt for some reason to get her stuff together. Her conservative parents think that she's going to, you know, like, I, I don't know what they think is going to happen with her aunt in the city. Mm-hmm. But her aunt runs this like very shabby running down, run down, like no one knows really how it stays open playhouse. And uh, while she is living there, she meets these fascinating people artists Hmm. and actors she encounters gay people for the first time and she comes to understand her own life and her own sexuality in a very freeing liberating exciting way (laughs) and the there's a frame story of um, her i think her granddaughter i believe like learning this story much much later about uh, what I think her name is Vivian, about what her life was really like. The casting would be fun. You'd have a huge ensemble, interesting cast. I like a New York set piece. I really yeah. like a New York in the 1940s yeah. <laughs> set piece with champagne. Like the whole, I think I saw Elizabeth Gilbert say in an interview one time, or maybe it was like a blurb in the book, that she wanted the experience of reading the book to feel like drinking a glass of champagne to just feel like bubbly and luxurious. Mm. And that was definitely the experience that I had of it. And it's also um, sort of subtly political and subtly progressive in the ways that it presents some of the characters and how they come to understand their identities and who they are in the world. Um, And I just think it would be great to see on screen. You could do it as a movie, but I would really like it as an HBO situation. Um, speaking of set pieces that we like to see, we both like campus novels. Oh yeah, and we've this is almost this is goes into the almost into the RSTLNE uh, Wheel of Fortune take it as read category mm-hmm. for me. I think you and I have talked about this before. Um, our great friend and colleague Liberty Hardy has talked about it before. I know what you're going to say, and it's on my list. It is. Maybe we should end mm-hmm. here. It's the Secret History yep. by Donna Tart, <laughs> which look. I don't want to tell anyone how to do their jobs, but you all have done terrible that this doesn't <laughs> exist as a thing. 
there's there's enough imitators in the world of books to try you know I won't name names but like to the the secret history it's like the we use this as a read alike it would be wonderful on screen mm-hmm. star turns for everyone involved um it has the thing we were talking about before it's not just a campus novel it's got a it's got a a shiv in the middle of it it's like think think dead poet society but um robert sean lennon kills cameron in the middle of it like that's what we're talking about here right that's that's what we're talking about um a dark dead poet society mm-hmm. here for it it would look great yes. i um it would also be an 80s period piece at this point right i think this is set in the mid 80s so it would have its own like new england campus 80s like where the breakfast cub kids go like where molly ringlong went to college after the breakfast cub mm. is kind of where like the wellesleys of the world um it's supposed to it's- be it's called hamden which is based on Bennington, which yeah. is just just insert New England College, and you know what I'm talking about, <laughs> Bennington. I want this tomorrow. Can we kickstart? What do we got to do here? I don't understand. We've been waiting for this like for a long time. When we hang up, I'm going to Google because there has to be some story about why this isn't yeah. yet. It just feels to me like there has to be a reason. I think it could be, when I was thinking about it for today, I think it could be the 80s set piece, or you could update it for ah, 2020. Like you could. I have spent, I have spent some time in Bennington in the very recent past because mm. I have friends who live up there and, and teach at Bennington. And it's a like it's the cast of the book is super white. The yes. population of Bennington is less white now and is more diverse in many ways and, and pretty interesting. And there's still like a, that New England winter where dark things happen. And that's a, a yeah. large driving force of the story. But like Bennington now also has like a pretty strong drug culture that makes things interesting mm. and that would fit into those like Bacchanalia moments that happen when they're trying to like conjure stuff uh, yeah well and you know liberal arts colleges of all stripes are recruiting more diversely now there's no reason all these white characters i mean zendaya can play two or three characters as far as i'm concerned in this (laughs) kind of do a a a tom hardy situation try to play a few of them i don't care let's go bunny could be a girl yeah there you go um and you know it isn't now that i'm saying it out loud though i do think it might make more sense to set it in the 80s because the relationship that they have with their professor in this story is not really something that we could sell as super likely to happen in 2020 yeah. where it's it was totally believable in that 80s set piece i would mm. i would love for this to be a movie and it really needs to happen i think a series it's long make it you know oh, true yeah, detective true, true mm. detective 101 mm. ap true detect honors true detective <laughs> is what we're, we're we're doing here um yeah and so this one needs to be a miniseries so much it makes me actually angry like i don't enjoy mm-hmm. this conversation we're having like i'm just mad <laughs> This is, it does, you know, it does. It has the feel of something that like you would pick a weekend to rewatch it every winter yes. <laughs> or on this first snowfall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess to, to take the other side, which is wrong, but just for a moment, because I'm generous <laughs> intellectually like that. Uh-huh. It might be that between talented Mr. Ripley, dead poets, school ties, I mean, there's a genre here. It's not quite like this in a lot of ways. I'm, I'm just, I'm wondering if it's, you know what I'm getting I, at? Maybe, maybe, maybe it's too crowded. Maybe it's too crowded. I, well, I think it was too crowded 15 or 20 years ago, but it's not too crowded now. Like, yeah. we, we aren't getting 80s college no, and we don't. school movies now, and a good one would be 
awesome. I don't understand. I really don't understand why we don't get more TV shows set in college. I, I don't understand. It's for it. It's wonderful storytelling environment. Like we get we mm-hmm. get high school and we get right out of college. But college is wild, man. You've you've been, you know about colleges. <laughs> People are trying to figure out what they're doing. There's fish out of water. They're trying to figure out who they mm-hmm. are. They're trying multiple different things. The stakes are high, but not necessarily um you know, it doesn't have to be life or death, right? Uh, right. People of different backgrounds thrown together. I, mm-hmm. I really don't know why there aren't more really wonderful college series. I can't, what, 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 who has the belt right now for the best college series? Felicity? Oh I mean, geez, come on, I can't be Felicity, can it? <laughs> Well, there is that one season of Dawson's Creek where they're in college. That's terrible. The Saved by the Bell. See, was there the a Saved by the years, Bell? When there the... was Saved by the Bell. The college year. Look, we are just proving the case that this is a horribly, horribly undermined territory in the it's secret true. history. It's there. It's just it's just sitting there. Maybe Tart doesn't want to. Do, I mean, this this stuff happens, right? She doesn't want to give up the rights. She'll, someone has the rights, and they're sitting on it. You know, these things happen. But we, we, this is this is we we can we we built the Oswan High Dam. We can make a version of the secret history. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna do some googling. We're gonna find right. out. Put on my yeah. detective cap. Figure it out. All right, I think that's our show. Any any I last so. any last shouts? Any any half baked adaptation yes. ideas? Things you rejected from your list that not on the uh, main list? They're honorable mentions. Uh, I really want to watch an adaptation of Weather by Jenny Offal, starring Laura Linney. And, um, and it's just her sitting around with rubber ducks and sitting in a library desk thinking about stuff. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, being existential. And I want some kind of adaptation of Maybe You Should Talk to Someone by Lori Gottlieb uh, that does like an interesting thing with people in therapy and also the therapist mm. in therapy. And I think this is really just because I'm mad that the great Gabrielle Byrne series in treatment got canceled too soon a few years ago. You see they're <laughs> and, rebooting that with a black woman in the burn spot? Did you see that? No. I don't remember the oh, actress's well, name. That's, that's exciting. I'm going to Google so that now, go. too. I loved that series. I love therapy as a set piece for mm-hmm. uh, for TV, especially. And it's not done that often. And when it is done, it's not often done that well. Like, I think The Sopranos did it well, and In Treatment did it well. And that's about as far as I've gotten. I'm not sure that this, my last one, I'm not sure that it would make for a very good adaptation. It's one of those I, I kind of want to see. Um, and it would be, a, maybe it's a better play, because the cast of characters are rather sparse. But The Street by Anne Petrie. Um, centers on a black woman in the 40s, Anne Petrie herself, writing somewhat from experience, trying to make it, you know, as a as a working class woman. And in that period of time, still today, frankly, underrepresented in all genres, but then it was way ahead of her time. Mm. Um, and it would be, you know, it'd almost be best as like a, a Telluride <laughs> film festival indie movie where you get a big actress um, and you package it up kind of like they did f- for uh, Renee Zellweger with Judy. Like the point of that is try to get Renee Zellweger an Oscar, right? Like that's kind of the point <laughs> of that movie. We don't do that enough for people of color. Let's do that. And Anne Petrie, the street is ready there. It's a great role for someone. Um, I, off the top of my head, I can't remember exactly how old she is. I do this thing now, uh, and probably I always did it once I was like out of college age, where every character that I'm not sure how old they are, I just assume is five years older than I am. 
right? <laughs> um, but I'm getting to the point now where that's probably unlikely for these kinds of... Uh, she's not 48. She's not 47 in this, but she's probably like 25. Um, so maybe that's a... You know, Janelle Monet gets a lot of these kinds of historical period pieces role. I'm mm-hmm. not sure this is quite right for her. Zendaya is probably a little too young, but I don't know. Casting and everything, you know, that Occam's razor of casting for me right now. Um, but this would be a wonderful set piece for someone, and you'd get wonderful production design and and so on and so forth. So I, I don't know that it's going to be a smash hit that a, a streaming service is going to pick up. But writer director who has a good relationship with a an actress who wants to take it or shot um, at getting one of those little gold statues and Petrie the Street is sitting there uh, waiting for you. Excellent. All right. That was super fun. We've got more of these. We give you future iterations of this one because I got more. You got yeah. more. Yep. Yeah. We didn't even try. That's what you want your audience to hear, right? Didn't even try <laughs> in preparation for the show they've dedicated an hour to? No, no, no. It's just that it's just that easy. We're just that good. Yeah. We, oh, we make it look easy. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Speaking of, while we're in adaptation, we're talking about it. I don't, by Thursday, who knows if we'll remember, but fare thee well to the king of all make-it-look-easy actors, Sean Connery. Uh, you heard mm. us talk about Hunt for October, Marco Ramius, hot take, a better literary adaptation character than James Bond for Connery. Um you heard it here first and probably last. No one else. Maybe me and Amanda have that take. Uh, that <laughs> Ramius is a more interesting and, and uh, cool character than James Bond. But a, a pretty good bona fides. Um, there's story. I'll try to find it for show notes. I don't know that it's linkable. But he gave an interview to the Houston Chronicle a long time ago about a mentor that gave him books to read while he was on set and traveling the world that kind of changed oh. Sean Connery's life. So a reader himself... Um, Anyway, it's, you know, whatever. It's Connery. It's sort of related to this. One of my favorite. I mean, who doesn't like Sean Connery? I mean, good Lord. Um, <laughs> seemed like an all-around good guy, um, even if even if he played um, people you wouldn't maybe want to be around after a couple of cocktails sometimes. <laughs> but uh, fairly well. Go. You can listen to me and Amanda talk about our great love for The Hunt for Red October um, which is only great because of Sean Connery. I mean, that's not true, but he really is the center of that show, and the center of him is his hairpiece, which I always <laughs> tell people anytime it comes up, costs twenty thousand dollars. Twenty thousand dollars hairpiece for Sean, and that's nineteen ninety dollars. That, we're not even accounting for inflation. Well, thank you for spending this hour of pleasant distraction with me. Thank you. It did listeners. kill an hour. It did kill an hour of our election day. So that's not. Yeah. That's not for nothing. You know what, Anna? May our efforts succeed. May our efforts succeed. We'll talk to you next time, Rebecca. Mm-hmm.